So today we're going to be focusing on John chapter 14, verses 4 through 7. title of today's message is The Way. How many people here have had the pleasure and the opportunity and just a great experience of having to drive in downtown Chicago? It's fun, isn't it? Prior to moving up here to God's country, about once a month I would generally have to take a patient down there in the ambulance because they would have a, a specialty condition that could only be treated there or they were from there so they wanted to be taken back there and I'd have to go down there in the ambulance. And Once you get off the, uh, the interstate, which is pretty uh, packed to begin with, you get off the interstate and then you're usually faced with heavy traffic and also a series of one-way streets. And because, yeah, bridges too. Because Chicago streets are almost always under construction, you're often forced down detours. Many of these detours are on one-way streets, and many of these streets can go on for a long time, and it always seems they want to point you to a street that's going on for a long time in one direction that has no turn lanes in it. So you could be going a long, long way in the wrong direction. And a mile, even just getting a mile off of where you want to go can mean 30 minutes of your time in downtown Chicago because a stoplight can take you 10 to 15 minutes to get through all by itself and there's a stoplight on every corner. Anyone here ever gotten stuck on a street like that? That's, that's, that's a lot of fun in an ambulance, let me tell you. How about being stuck in a large event like a football game or a baseball game or a concert? When it gets all done, you have a whole bunch of people all moving in one direction toward the exit. When I walk into these places, I'm looking around and figuring out how I'm going to get out when this thing is over and trying to figure out the quickest way. And, and Tammy will tell you, it drives her crazy that I want to leave five minutes before the end and get ahead of everybody. You know, it, it, I just I, I want to get out of there as quick as I can because I can't stand moving like this through people and I just you know because it always ends up that I want to go this way but the entire crowd hundreds and thousands of people are all going that way and you get dumped out of the stadium at the exact wrong place and now you have to wind through fences and walk and and it just it just turns into this big mess it's very frustrating to be going in the wrong direction and just feel helpless to do anything about it. Many people feel this way about their lives. Maybe you're here this morning, you've taken a wrong turn, you've gotten stuck on the wrong road. Maybe at some point in your life you looked at the one-way sign that God had for you, but you decided to go the wrong way and go in the direction that you wanted to go to. And now maybe you're sitting here this morning, not quite understanding where you are or how you got here, or why you decided to take this road. And if that's you this morning, I have some great news for you. Jesus knows the way home. Amen. This morning we're continuing our study in the Gospel of John, and specifically in the Upper Room Discourse, in which Jesus is summarizing the last three and a half years of his life and summarizing the message of the Gospel. Now, I do want to warn you this morning, Jesus, in this um, section of Scripture, makes some very declarative statements, some absolute truths. He leaves no wiggle room for interpretation. 
If you're sitting on the fence about Jesus, this is going to poke you in some very sensitive spots. And in verses 1 through 4 of John 14, Jesus is saying he's getting ready to go away. He's getting ready to go to the cross to die for our sins. His disciples are very Jewish men. They cannot understand, they cannot comprehend why this Messiah is going to do anything other than bring an earthly kingdom to this earth that will rule over the planet. That's why they're so confused about him going and talking about going away and dying. They just they cannot comprehend exactly what Jesus is saying. So with that in mind, let's read John chapter 14, verses 5 through 7. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Let's pray. Father God, I ask, Lord, that you just take these words, these emphatic declarations that you said to your disciples and make them clear to us. Let them judge the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts that we may have toward you and help us to see that you are the way and there is no other. Father God, we ask this in your name. Amen. You know, every time I read the gospel, and particularly verses like this where Jesus is being so declarative and so finite in his language, I'm amazed at how politically incorrect he is. If Jesus had come today and said something like this publicly, how many people would be screaming at him of, how can you make such a declarative statement about truth? How dare you call somebody else's truth into question? Who do you think you are to say that all the other world religions are not as legitimate as Christianity? Who are you to say that? Well, let's just take a couple of them and see what they say about truth. James, there's a slide on the next uh, slide down, if you could pop that up. I saw this on Facebook this week and included it in the sermon. Three Three other world religions here. Number one, Islam. Islam teaches that Allah will make an arbitrary decision about who gets to come to heaven and who doesn't. The only meaning of life is to simply obey Muhammad's words as found in the Quran. There's no real truth there, just obey or else. But since your obedience doesn't mean anything in the end and has no bearing on your eternal life, it doesn't really make a difference if you obey or not in the long run. Buddha, a lot of people are Buddhists today. It's, it's kind of fashionable to call yourself a Buddhist. Buddhist tells us there is no absolute truth, but we should always seek it anyway. So in other words, we're seeking something that doesn't exist. That's If you want to be a Buddhist, that's what you believe. Confucius, if you don't know who Confucius is, he was kind of the grandfather of Buddha. And he was, kind, he was the greatest philosopher in all of China. Um, Just to put it in perspective, you've heard the terms Plato, Socrates, Aristotle. Well, he was that to the Chinese world. Toward the end of his life, he made up up his mind. He said, you know, don't look to me for the truth because I have no idea. But people follow these. Number four and most important for our discussion this morning, Jesus said, the Christ said, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. And as this slide notes right here on the bottom, if you can read it in the back, it says Jesus is the only one who rose from the dead. The other three are still in the grave. I'm going to take his word over them. What do you think? So let's break it down. Let's study Jesus' statement this morning. Jesus uses very precise language in his declarations. And we're going to start out with the first two words, I am. Jesus is very deliberate in using this phrase, I am. To you and me, saying I am is simply that we're identifying with something. If I say I am John, it's identifying with my name. If I say I am a student, that means it's something I do. If I say I'm a pastor, that's my job. It's simply identifying and bringing something or descriptive into something and pointing it to ourselves. It means the same thing in the Greek and Hebrew language. However, in the first century Israel, it had the added weight of being one of the names of God and one of the way that God had um, chosen to reveal himself to the Israelites. You remember in Exodus chapter 3, Moses is a former prince in Egypt who has now been banished to the backside of the desert for murdering an Egyptian overseer. Forty years have gone by. Think about that. Forty years have gone by. He's gone from the top of the entire world, and now he is a shepherd on the backside of the desert for 40 years. One day he's out tending the flock, and he sees a bush on fire. That's not a really unusual thing in the desert. A creosote bush will just burst into flames. It gets dried out. Sun beats down on it. It bursts into flames. It's like 10, 15 seconds. The thing burns to the ground, and that's that. So it wasn't that unusual to see a bush burst into flames. However, what was unusual about this bush is it wasn't immediately consumed. It kept burning and burning and burning, and I could just imagine Moses sitting on a rock looking at this thing going, why isn't this thing burning up? I imagine he probably sat there and looked at it for an hour saying, okay, okay, what? It, it, it's still burning. So Moses, a shepherd with 40 years of experience, you've seen this happen dozens of times, but in this case it just keeps burning. So he walks over and takes a look, and God speaks to him out of this bush. God tells Moses that he has chosen him to be the deliverer of his people, Israel. Moses is speaking to this bush, has no idea who he's talking to. He said, well, who are you? Are you like the great fiery bush god? And before you think I'm just being irrelevant or, or irreverent, Moses hasn't heard from God in 400 years. Israel, last time they heard about God was Joseph. For 400 years, they have been in slavery to a nation that worshipped everything under the sun. They worshipped the Nile, they worshipped frogs, they worshipped gnats. So having a burning bush um, before you, Moses is asking some serious questions here. He, he has no idea what God is talking to him. So Moses asking several questions is not a lack of faith. He is trying to, to pinpoint down exactly who is talking to him. And that's where we pick up the narrative in verse 13 of chapter 3. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? 
God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am. I am was one of the most sacred ways that God expressed himself to the people of Israel because it pointed them back to the fact that he led them out of bondage and defeated the world's biggest superpower at that time to do it. Remember John chapter 8? Pharisees want to kill Jesus because he uses this name to describe himself. Jesus, the chapter begins by Jesus forgiving a woman caught in adultery. And it starts a very long argument with the Pharisees. And the chapter ends in verse 36 where Jesus makes this statement. Jesus says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old, and you said you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So there is absolutely no doubt that when Jesus is using this phrase saying, I am the truth, he is calling himself equal with God and calling himself God. So we can paraphrase this verse in John chapter 14 to Jesus saying, I am God and I am the way. Let's look at this phrase, the way. Followers of Jesus Christ were not always called Christians. That came actually much later in the time of the church. In fact, the early church, in the early church, this new found faith in Jesus Christ was simply called the way. And it was based off of Jesus' words right here in John chapter 14. The early church wanted to distinguish itself from its Jewish roots. And within the Jewish mindset, this is how Christianity was referred to in the early time of the church in the first century. In fact, when Paul was making his legal defense before the Roman officials, he referred to Christianity as the way. So this was Christianity before it was called Christianity. And I say this to point out that Jesus did not leave the door open for any other way. He said, I am the way. Amen. Period. Jesus didn't say, I'm one of many ways. Jesus didn't say, I'm one of many options to choose from. A check a box on a form that you can select, I'll, I'll, I'll go Jesus' way. No, he said, I am the way. He didn't place himself in a pantheon of, of multiple beliefs that you can follow. He said declaratively, emphatically, I am the way. Amen. And if you're trusting in anything other than Jesus this morning, you're wrong. It's not my opinion, it's the Bible's. It's Jesus' exact words of what he is saying. Anybody ever had a boss tell you, if I wanted your opinion, I'll give it to you? No. <laughs> it's kind of a mean way to say it, but this is God saying, this is my opinion. And this is just the way it is. Since God is creator of all things, he knows everything there is to know. His opinion overrides our opinion. And Jesus saying, I am the way, is God declaring this as absolute truth. In fact, the Bible even doubles down on it. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, he said, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. That's 
declarative, emphatic statement right there. There is no wiggle room to that. There is one and only way. God has made it very simple for us. It's only people's sin, their stubbornness, or their rebellion that keeps them from believing or accepting this truth. Talking about truth, that can be a loaded word in our day. What is truth? That's what Pilate said. Well, Jesus has an answer for that too. He said, I am the truth. But we don't even know what truth is anymore. We're so inundated right now with lies and false news. We're inundated with these salacious stories and headlines that are meant to keep our emotions revved up in a high gear that, that shuts off our higher reasoning and most importantly, our spiritual sensitivities. And it's not just one side of the political aisle. It's not, it doesn't even matter anymore where you get your information. Fox News does it. CNN does it. ABC, NBC, CBS, they all do it. The vast majority of print news does it. Social media is notorious for it. That's all social media is right now, is one truth or another quote-unquote <coughs> truth. I mean, you could have a full-time job correcting people's Facebook and Twitter posts that are just complete lies and fabrications. And it's on both sides. Conservatives are doing it. Liberals are doing it. Christians are doing it. Non-Christians are doing it. Everybody seems to be doing it. Jesus said, He is the truth. Period. I am the ultimate truth, He is saying. Therefore, His, very, therefore his followers should be very concerned about what, that which is true and not just that which wins us a political argument or an online argument with social media. And just this one little nugget of truth for you, if you're on social media, I just would, would, would caution you. No one's opinion has ever been swayed or will ever be swayed through an online discussion or argument. Through posting just the right post that, that trashes the other side. I would just, would just ask you, don't engage in it. It's not worth your time. It won't win you a convert. And it's definitely not lo worth losing a relationship over. And I am guilty of this as, as far as the day is long sometimes because I love to argue truth. But the only truth that we should ever argue is that about Jesus. Amen. And that's because the Bible tells us to be willing to give an answer for the hope that we have. But do it with gentleness and respect. Do it knowing that Jesus died for this person too. And that they need to see the love of the gospel as much as they need to hear us tell, tell them about it. The great I am, Jesus, is our way. Jesus is our truth, but he also said, I am the light. And if you have any spiritual discernment at all, it seems to be getting spiritually darker and darker in our society today. And throughout history, there have been spiritual ebbs and flows. There have been times of great darkness, and there's also been times of great light and great revival and great spiritual fervor for the things of God. But it seems right now we're moving into a time of great darkness. And when I, as a pastor, say something like that, people can... Can, can feel discouraged or even fearful of the future. Jesus gives us an explanation of this. In John chapter 3, verse 19, he says that light 
has come into the world. And people who do evil things are judged guilty because they love the dark more than the light. People who do evil hate the light and won't come into the light because it clearly shows what they have done. One of the consequences of humanity's fallen nature is that they run from the light. It's one of the reasons that, that our society today loves dark things, because they're running from the light of God. It's one of the hesitations I have with wanting to be involved with anything with a holiday like Halloween. Because Halloween, it has become, especially in our day, all about celebrating the dark. And I know there's some hesitation in many of your your spirits about wanting to have a trick-or-treat outreach because of that fact. However, the Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and that includes October 31st. All day can be God's day. Therefore, I can use a, if I can use a dark holiday to introduce people to Jesus, that's a slap in the devil's face, and I kind of like doing that once in a while. Taking what the devil meant for evil and turning it to the good is what the church is supposed to be about. And that's why I ask for your help. That's why I'm up here for the last several Sundays asking for your donations, but not only your donations, but your presence here that day. Why am I asking for your presence? Because Jesus said that you are the light of the world. It's you that are going to win people to Jesus. It's not just candy. It's not just tracks. It's not just handing them some apple cider. It's going to be you being a reflection of his goodness, being a reflection of his love, being a reflection of his saving work in this world. Therefore, I would ask you to come and let your light shine on October 31st and love on some kids. Amen? Jesus said, I am the way. Jesus said, I am the truth. And Jesus said, I am the light. And he makes one final declaration. And it's this declaration that is the most important one for us to understand this morning. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. He is the way to the Father. You see, people can handle Jesus saying, I am the way, as long as he is one of many ways. Jesus can handle saying, I am the truth, as long as he's not saying, I am the exclusive truth. And people can handle Jesus saying, I am the light, as, one, as long as he is one of many lights we can choose from. But when Jesus said, I am the only way to the Father, that's what causes the argument every single time. We're going to finish our time together this morning with a quote from the great C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. And it's going to address this very point of what Jesus is saying about himself. C.S. Lewis writes in his book, I am trying here to prevent anyone, or excuse me, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people so often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not and could not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. 
Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him and call him a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come out with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left this open for us. Nor did he intend to leave this open for us. Now it seems to me that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely that it seems, I have to accept the view that he was and he is God. Amen. So I ask you this morning, in your own heart of hearts, was Jesus a liar? No. Was Jesus a lunatic? No. Or was he it or is he who he says he is? Is he Lord? God. Amen. If you're going to call Jesus Lord, that means He is Lord of all. That means He is the Lord of the heavens. That means He is the Lord of the earth. That means He is the ruler and Lord of everything in this earth. And most importantly for you and me, that means He is the ruler. That means He is the king. He is the boss of our lives. The El Jefe of everything in our life. Let's all rise. I don't know if there's anyone here today that would be honest and saying, I don't know if I've ever given my life to Jesus. I don't know if I've ever made that declaration or that surrender right now. Well, Jesus is here and He is willing to hear it from you right now. Hallelujah. He is ready for you to turn around and say to Him, Jesus, everything I have, I give to you because I've made a mess of my life prior to now. I have done what you say is evil and have rebelled against what you say is God's will for my life. Therefore, I ask for your forgiveness. Therefore, I need you to forgive me. I need you to become my Lord, my Savior, my very best friend. If that's you this morning. Jesus is ready to hear this from you. You just have to admit you're a sinner, believe in Him as your Savior, and confess Him as your Lord. Maybe there's some people here that have let some things slip in their life. Maybe there's some things that you're sticking in a closet, trying to hide from Jesus and not letting Him be Lord over. Jesus knows what's in your closet, friend. There is no lock, there is no door, there is no, no curtain you can hide something behind that he does not already know it's there. So you might as well just give it to him. You might as well just confess it. Because Jesus wants what's best for your life. Jesus wants you to be set free from that. Amen. So Lord God, I just ask that you just move in our midst this morning that you touch every heart, that you expose every lie, that you give us the supernatural ability to be honest with ourselves and with you. That if there be areas in our lives that are not pleasing to you, we would surrender them to you right now. Because the time is growing short, Lord. 
Father, I ask, Lord, that you just make us a people that seek after you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. That you would help us to live day by day, moment by moment, surrendered lives before you. So that when the day comes that you need somebody to go, we would hold up our arm like Isaiah and say, Here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, speak through me. Here I am, Lord, serve this person through me. Father God, I thank you for your people this morning, and I ask for your blessing to be upon them. In Jesus' name, amen.